This is Danny Hicks from Evil Dead 2, Intruder, Dark Man, and you're listening to Without Your Head. <laughs> Anymore, you doing this yourself? I've never had a producer. You should, though. I thought Duckman for some reason was your. Or was oh. he just a jerky guy that hung around with? <laughs> yeah, I have. I, I used to have people who would just hang around and get me coffee and stuff like that. But, but no, he didn't produce anything. <laughs> <laughs> coffee, foot massages, blowjobs. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about that with Duckman. But, but I did share a room Sorry, with him once. Sorry, Krista. <laughs> It's okay. I remember waking up and when I shared a room with Duckman in Chicago, and he was literally just standing there in the room. It was no lights were on, and he was just standing, like looking at me in the bed. It was very bizarre. It's true That's story. really fucking creepy. It is. And then uh, he was also the cameraman that weekend, so he took a bunch of uh, photos, and then he sent me all of them, you know, like the raw ones. And I'm looking through, them, and there was pictures of me just sleeping in, in the bed. What? Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, hey, Duckman. Yeah. So we are live here, the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm Treacherous Trista. Mm-hmm. Troy cannot be here, but we are joined by the returning John Duggan. It's very cool to have you here. Hey, John Duggan here. Hello. Hey, hey. Yeah. Not Jim Duggan. No. Although I've met him. Did you really? <laughs> I almost wore a Jim Duggan shirt tonight just to be funny. Oh yeah, just yeah. To, I, you know. Oh God, I should have worn my uh, without your head shirt. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to wear home. my John Duggan shirt, got, but it's uh, it's much too big for me now, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, but unfortunately, I don't have one that fits. I don't. It's not unfortunate at all, man. Right. I need a new one. Is what I'm saying. Maybe ah. just a tattoo, then it wouldn't matter. Nah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it actually, but, <laughs> but it's, it's good to see John. We I used to we used to see each other all the time. Yeah, but things have changed, haven't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we were lucky to see each other uh, in December or in October at a uh, in, uh, in Austin or Worcester. In uh, Worcester, mm-hmm. that was the first um, time in a few years. That was a. Uh, Really, really good time, and, and it's the first time I'd ever been into a city, in a city in Massachusetts that wasn't Boston or in immediate Boston, Cambridge, Medford, that you know, sort of right, thing. or uh, you know, over in Rhode Island somewhere, you know, but I had never, uh, I had a buddy, a really rough character, an ex friend. Billy Bordeaux, 
one of those <laughs> who uh, was from uh, Pawtucket, mm-hmm. you know. And people, and this was in Louisville, and people would always think, you know, he was from Boston. He'd get so pissed off. <laughs> I'm from Boston. I'm from fucking Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh-huh. <laughs> he used to like to go, dude, look at this nose. There's no cartilage in it. Been busted fifteen times. <laughs> I lo- I lost my lost my driver's license for life. So I sideswiped fifteen police cars and fucking protected. <laughs> but th- that's a thing, though. It, it, around around Boston, they call every city ne- near Boston, even like hours away from Boston, it's just Boston. Yeah. <laughs> Because I've seen people even say Rocket Shock is in the Boston area, and I'm like, it's like an hour and a half away from Boston. It's, not, it's like saying I'm in Boston. Well, nobody, you know, for one thing, rural Massachusetts is like a probably by people who live in Massachusetts, it's kind of a closely guarded secret, you know. You know, the Berkshires, you know, people from the fucking Midwest don't go to the Berkshires, you know. Uh-huh. People from the West don't go to the Berkshires, you know. It's all just kind of New England is sort of enclosed, a little enclosed area of itself, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. When were you in New England before that? Before uh, Rock and Shock? 1972. Uh, <laughs> okay. So it was a little Maybe. while, yeah. Things have changed a little you, bit, I see. I'll tell you what. When we were heading there, we had to, um, we caught a ride that was called something called the Ride Board, a local radio station ran. This is real hippy-dippy shit, man. And my girlfriend uh, lived in, uh, she was kind of a prep school girl from Barrington, Rhode Island. And uh, she wanted to take me to meet her parents, you know. We thought, God. Just trashy Irish guys you bring home, you know. And uh, <laughs> so we caught a ride with a woman, a hippie chick, on the uh, radio station ride board as far as Framingham, I think. And then we took a uh, a bus from Framingham to to Boston, and then we stayed with her friend. Uh, she had friends that, that went to uh, Tufts, and we. We stayed for a few days in Medford and hit all the bars in fucking Cambridge and in Boston and shit like that. I had a really good time. Mm-hmm. Really neat town. But I do remember, this will help you figure out the year. That month, Patty Hearst was on the run oh, wow. from the FBI uh-huh. with the Harris family, with the Harris couple. Yeah, And it was two women and a dark-haired guy with a dark curly haired guy with a mustache traveling together we got pulled over three fucking times <laughs> between northern Ohio and Pennsylvania you know inspect the car can you back it up mm-hmm. okay it's a turn signal okay you kids can <laughs> second time we thought what the fuck's going on it dawned on somebody that we look like Patty Hearst and the Harris. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and they were supposedly headed for Pennsylvania or some shit. You know? Yeah. 
but that was that summer. I had a good time then. Mm-hmm. How, how did you uh, – I know we probably went over some of this before, but uh, maybe not. How did you end up in Texas for Texas Chainsaw Massacre? A plane. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that works out. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, wrote it. Kim Hanko was married to my sister. Oh, I actually didn't know that. And uh, my sister uh, went went to school – San Antonio, and then she transferred to University of Texas in Austin, and uh, I spent quite a bit of time in San Antonio and Austin, you know, with my sister when I was in high school, and then uh, she got married to Kim Hankel, and I had uh, uh, met him maybe once before the wedding and once after the wedding, once at the wedding and once after or something. Um, and, um, so I knew him, you know, we, we've got high together and shit like that, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I knew he was a writer and I knew that he, he had been in a student film that he and his friend had written and, and done, you know, in, which is called eggshells, which if I have never seen it, I would love to, but my sister had a poster of it. <laughs> which I'd like to have now signed by Kim and Toby. But, um, uh, I was doing a, a children. I signed up getting out of high school and going to theater school. And I was going to theater school at the art Institute of Chicago at the Goodman theater. And, um, I was doing a children's play for the summer. One of my first, I think it was my second paying acting gig. I had done two days on an industrial film before that. And that pay stub, I had my wallet till it disintegrated, that first paycheck stub for acting. Uh-huh. It went from wallet to wallet to wallet till just like fucking, like the scene in the time machine where he pulls a book out and just crumbles in his right. hand. <laughs> but uh, where was I? Oh, so he calls up. The the play was called The Teradiddle Tales. <laughs> and I wore multicolored tights, you know, leotard and, and little jazz shoes, you know, and and did folk dances and sang folk songs from around the world and all the countries around the world. And we entertained uh, inner city kids, you know, that the city brought in twice a day, city of Chicago, you know. And uh, we did two shows a day, uh, five days a week, six days a week. We had Mondays off, you know, Mondays we were dark. So we did two shows a day, six days a week for 175 bucks uh, a piece, you know, a week. Well, she rebroke it down to shows it was like fucking twelve fifty a show or some shit. Yeah. But honestly, I had a, the rent in my apartment with uh, my, my two uh, room roomies. Well, actually, we had like there were four of us at the time in, in that particular apartment. Particular apartment. My rent was $44 a month, fucking utilities included, utilities and phone. Mm-hmm. It's a huge apartment. We'd argue 
whose turn it was to go to the kitchen and grab beer during the commercials, you know. Because the kitchen was a half a block away. <laughs> no, nah, I ran last time, you lazy son of a bitch. <laughs> shit. And uh, so anyway, he called, I'm sorry, I'm digress. I, I do that all the time. It's totally fine. Don't I? Um, so it's anyway, Kim Someone Hanko says called. yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Kim, Kim uh, Hanko called me, and, you know, hey, John, man, this is Kim. Hey, Kim, what's up? You crazy, man? I said, sure, what do you need? <laughs> and he told me about this thing. And the next day, I went to the producer, who was this old Russian woman, Bella Itkin, from a sort of famous uh, uh, theater family. Her father was a great theater scholar. Her mother was probably an actress, I think. And they were they were Russian, Russian refugees, you know, from <laughs> the communist, re the socialist revolution, you know. I think, and uh, I told her, um, I gave her my notice, and she asked me, uh, and she was upset, and then she asked uh, what the role was, and I told her, and she said, Roddy McDowell would never, I can't do a Russian accent, <laughs> I keep going into German, but she said, uh, Roddy McDowell would never have done Planet of the Apes, you know, all that makeup, had he not been an established actor first. And so I was compared to Roddy McDowell right <laughs> off the bat. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's good company. And, you know, and then after the film was released, Roger Ebert uh, compared me to, uh, inadvertently, <laughs> compared me to Dustin Hoffman, which is so fucking neat. Yeah, definitely. I know old pictures He's, of Yeah, he was a lot like Dustin Hoffman. No, but he was just—he was talking yeah, about the grandpa, yeah. grandpa makeup, uh -huh. and old, old Sam or old whatever his old whatever his name was in uh, uh, Little Big Man. Mm -hmm. So he had said, uh, "John Dugan is the grandpa who is uh, reminiscent of of uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman, old big man, you know." Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, I bump into him in Aurora. This is back when he used to still drink, which was uh, uh, down the street from my apartment at the time um, in Old Town on North Avenue in Chicago. It's no longer there. It's moved to New Digs and all that shit. But uh, it was a very Irish pub, just reeked of fucking beer and cigarettes and, you know, uh, and Ebert held court in there. Sometimes he'd take his film film class. He'd just take the whole his film class in there for drinks and run the class in there. <laughs> he loved his booze, man. So um, I, I, you know, ran to him in there and said, uh, Roger Ebert. I said, yeah. I said, I'm John Dugan. He said, the name sounds familiar. I said, I just wanted to thank you for comparing me to Dustin Hoffman. And he was, wow, John, I didn't realize I'd done that. And I told him, who, you know, who I am. He went, oh, oh, my God. So over the years in Chicago, I'd run into him periodically. I don't want to say constantly, but two or three times a year, I'd bump into him. He'd come into some joint I was working for dinner, you know, you know, yeah. some restaurant or something. And he always remembered my name. And he always said hi. That's cool. 
you know, yeah, and had a chat with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Did you see his documentary? It's uh, it's really well made. It's very powerful. The documentary on Roger Ebert. Yeah, I think it's called My Life. No. Or something like that. Yeah, I watched. No, it, um, I have not. Uh, the last time I was in the hospital, and I, you know, was in there for a while, and uh, I was just watching everything I watch on Netflix, and that was one of the things I watched. I was in the hospital during the Shark Week, man. <laughs> That's all I remember. I was so drugged up. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty drugged up this last time too. So. Yeah, on ketamine, which I could see wow, why people wow. like. I have to say, yeah, woo. Like special K, right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, <clears throat> I was hallucinating. I was on, I was on more I was on morphine and uh, some other shit. Morphine was enough though. Man, I love that shit. <laughs> yeah, you can see how junkies become junkies. Yeah. And I was yeah. on you know I had a I had an alarm that went off every ten minutes. I could push a button and get another dose. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, my, and I never, I never waited as soon as that thing went off. Uh-huh. Bang, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> yeah, Annabelle was in the room with me when I was on the morphine drip, and it was the same way you could hit it. And so, when I would sleep, she would keep track and hit it because, or else I'd wake up in like terrible pain. And one of the nurses came in and she told her, told the nurse that, that she was hitting it. And she's like, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. Cause that's like incredibly illegal. We can't, we're oh, yeah. supposed to do that. You know, someone yeah. else isn't supposed <laughs> to be giving you your morphine shot. But. Yeah. That's How are you doing? Stuff. How are you doing? Pretty well. I, you know, it's, I've had one of those old men, you know, a couple of years. I got cancer. Uh, it'll be two years. Um, I was diagnosed two years ago. In, in the last month, I guess it no in May or April or something. I mean, I ended up having surgery uh, in uh, the last week in July in 2018, and then there were complications. I ended up having two emergency surgeries after that because of bleeds and fucking, you know, I almost bled to death internally and all that shit. So I was in the hospital for not much less, much less than you were, Neil. But you know, I was only supposed to be in for four days. I was in for sixteen. Oh, wow. They sent me home once, and I had to turn right around and go back. And they tried to send me home again. I was getting ready to leave, and my wife was arguing with him. She goes, "He doesn't look well. I don't think he's ready to come home." You know, mm-hmm. and uh, they were bringing uh, you know me my clothes and everything. I was getting ready to get dressed, and the doctor. And his team, because of Vanderbilt is a teaching hospital, so the doctor always had a group of uh, you know residents around him and shit, students. And I was sitting up on the edge of the bed, and I don't remember much about it, but Stacy mentioned I had, or Stacy's friend who was there that she worked with, uh, mentioned there was blood on my lips, you know, and I took a tissue, you know, and I went, I stuck my tongue out. And went like that and was just all fucking bright red ar- arterial blood, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was like, <laughs> and uh, they wheeled, they wheeled me away so damn fast. They put me up on, they, uh, and they had me in the operating theater in 15 minutes with, you know, one bag of blood gone already. And they were hooking me up to the second one. 
and I remember not realizing how bad the situation was. And it was like, well, because they had me so stoned. It's like, go for a ride, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I do recall the my surgeon's wife um, was the anesthesia nurse on it. And uh, when they banged me up, with the bye-bye drugs, she was talking to me and she held my hand and I thought, are they not telling me something? You know, she was damn near in tears and she was holding my hand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, before I drifted off and I found out months later when I had follow-up appointments that, yeah, I was really, really in bad shape. But, you know, you've been through it. So, you know, we both were on death's door there. Yeah, was, wow. even with the bleeding was similar when I when I came home and uh, I had the, the wound vac and it was filled with bright red blood and I had a visiting nurse and when she saw that she's like that's not good and when they took it off because she said it was artisanal blood and it was just spraying out oh god yeah called the ambulance yeah and it's the same I, anyways th yeah that I yeah, I knew it was bad, but everyone, it was like a movie. The, the people in the ambulance, the EMTs were, you know, just telling you stay with me and, uh, you know, it wasn't good, but, uh, but I'm, I'm good now. So. Yeah, me too. I don't know. And then I had a heart attack in March. Oh, I did. I didn't know that. The oh, beginning yeah. of the yeah. beginning of the pandemic. So it was really, really upsetting for state. Well, it was upsetting. You know. But Stacy took me to, I was like, well, blah, blah, blah. Because it wasn't a classic thing, I had got myself <laughs> out of breath, you know, exerted myself, and I couldn't um, get my breath back. And I, I had that burning sensation, like you just, like you were in gym class and they made you run 100 miles mm -hmm. an hour. I mean, 100, uh, not 100 miles, 100 <laughs> yards. Yeah. You know, it made you sprint or do wind sprints or something. And you got that burning sensation. Oh, you're trying to get your breath. That's that's what it felt like. But then it started going out to my arms. So I, uh, Stacy made me call the doctor. She goes, well, why don't you come in? Mm -hmm. I said, no, really, I'm fine. It went away. She goes, no, I want you to come in. So I went in, and uh, she had an EKG, and then she sent me for blood work, and I headed home. It took me about an hour or so to get home. I've been home for about a half an hour. She calls up. She says, I got your blood work back. I said, okay. You know, I'm, I'm sitting in, in this chair tossing the toy around my dog. You know? And I said, okay. And she goes, well, this such and such an enzyme is really high. It's supposed to be this and it's this. I was like, whoa. You want me to come in, uh, you know, because I had a stress test scheduled for the next week, like on Thursday or something. I said, you want me to come in like tomorrow for that stress test? She goes, no. Protocol says you need to go to the emergency room. I was like, oh, oh, really? She goes, yeah. I said, you want me to drive back into Vanderbilt and go to the emergency room there? She goes, no, John, you don't understand. You need to get to the closest emergency room right now. I was like, whoa. <laughs> All right, you know, and that was like everybody running around. But the thing that was so upsetting was that Stacy had to pretty much drop me at the door, and they wheeled me away. She never saw, she didn't know if she'd ever see me alive again. 
because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. they wouldn't let her in. Mm-hmm. But before, and I went to an emergency, no, it was an, it's an emergency, it's just an emergency clinic. And then they, it's an emergency room, but has some, you can get some things done there. But the hospital is connected to is, you know, five miles down the road or something. And, uh, so they did let her come in before they put me in an ambulance and moved to the hospital. And uh, the next morning, bright and early, they, they ran, uh, did an angioplasty and put a stent in my uh, you know, major coronary artery. It was like a uh, doctor said, it's what they call widow maker. I'm like, oh, you were very lucky. Yeah. But, you know, it didn't hurt all that bad or anything. I wouldn't have thought much of it because the pain had subsided. Right. So. So all that, you know, grab your left arm and clutch your chest and fall over mm-hmm. <laughs> that they show in the movies. That's not what that's not what it was like for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, uh, I was living with my uncle at the time when he had his heart attack, and he didn't go for days. He just thought his back hurt a little bit, and you know. It was yeah. Just- yeah, everybody has different symptoms. You know, some are so mild. You don't think that, I'm sure a lot of people die because they think nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Enough of our health problems. <laughs> right. Let's talk about something uh, nice here. How about uh, Trista's health problems? How- Trista, how are you? Are you healthy? <laughs> oh, as far as I know, I'm healthy. Thank you for asking. I'm glad that you're okay and that I got to meet you. Huh? Oh. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. I'm no big deal. Nah, he's a he's the biggest deal. Yeah, she even drops. She stopped drinking coffee, so she's a, she's very healthy now. Boy, how'd you do that? I feel bad drinking well, the coffee on camera. Yeah, oh, I've yeah. I've just been drinking a lot of tea, but um, we'll see how long it lasts. I was just drinking too much coffee. Well, I quit for several years. Twice, because I was getting heartburn. I was drinking so much of it. it just so now, I kind of have it under control. I think. Uh huh. I drink mine black now. Me too. Yeah. Strong and black. Yeah, that's how I like. Yeah, I like the dark roast. It's weird because my grandmother used to always say if I'd get her if I'd get her you know coffee with stuff in it or flavored coffee, she'd always say it doesn't taste like coffee. And I never understood what that meant. But now that I drink it black, I totally understand what it means. Because if you have it with uh, yeah, I've never put anything in my coffee. coffee. I've never really been big on sweets. As I've gotten older, I you know have a bit of a more of a sweet tooth. And also, since I don't drink nearly as much as I used to. I was getting so much sugar, you know, yeah. through alcohol consumption, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, I kind of am into dark chocolate and, and black, black coffee. And I've always, you know, enjoyed, I always you know, like bitter things and salty things and that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, I like olives now, which I never was never a big fan of olives, but since I changed my diet, oh, I love olives olive. and pickles. Oh, God, you should go to fucking Greece, man, and go to uh-huh. a Greek deli or something. Oh, wait a minute. You live in Martha's Vineyard? Uh, Cape Cod. but uh, Okay, yeah, my- well, port- there's got to be a Portuguese deli, a Mediterranean deli around there. 
Um, uh, my favorite restaurant I go to a lot. It's Captain Scott's. It's a seafood restaurant, but the owner's Greek, and he does a lot of Greek dishes. And yeah, I'm, I'm I, I eat a lot of that. I eat a lot of Mediterranean food in general but at home. It's just amazing the, the variety of olives. Yes. In a in a in a in an open air Greek market at the produce guy, or just maybe he's just the olive guy. You know, I don't <laughs> know, <laughs> but. Fuck. And of course, you don't read Greek, so you don't know what the fuck they are. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. But maybe uh, I do. You you don't know that. Maybe maybe I'm fluent in Greece in Greek. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't think. Can you speak Greek? No, okay. you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> my sister, this is I don't. I am just jumping from subject to subject. But my late oh. sister Paula, we live in LA at the same time. And she had this boyfriend, uh, Gilles, who was French-Moroccan, who was a, a waiter in a very expensive restaurant, made a lot of money, and uh, had a really nice apartment in West Hollywood. And his best friend was uh, this really strange dude who imported uh, European shoes, basically Italian shoes, mm-hmm. into upscale uh you know, boutiques in the United States, you know. Well, you know, she invited me to this dinner party, and she invites me to this. <laughs> she she introduced me to this guy, who's Gilles' best friend. And uh, and she's like, uh, so-and-so, it's my brother John. He goes, really, really nice to meet you. Who cares? Who cares? What the fuck is that? My sister didn't say anything. And he's real interested. So what do you, what do you do? I said, well, right now I tend bar wait tables. I, sometimes I cook and, you know, um, I look for acting work, you know. And he's like, really, who cares? Nigger, nigger, fuck, fuck, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> what the hell is that? And it's like, well, nice meeting you, you know. And I find my sister. I said, why the hell didn't you warn me about this guy? She goes, what? I said that thing. He has Tourette's. And uh, you could have warned me. Well, I was not, and she goes, oh, <laughs> you'd have to know my sister. <laughs> I didn't think about it. And uh, the guy was fluent in like three languages, you know. Mm-hmm. And she goes, John, you know what the funny thing is? Is when he and Gilles speak in French, he doesn't do that. I said, Paul, do you speak French? She goes, no. And I said, how the fuck do you know he's not doing that? (laughs) (laughs) Those all like swear words and terrible racial slurs and, you know, who cares? Really, who cares? So after dinner, he goes, I'm buying dessert. I'm going to, who cares? Fuck, fuck, shit. <laughs> Up to back Baskin Robbins at the corner of Sunset and buying. And uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm not, I use, no, I, you don't use that word. Oh, I understand, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, get a, a who cares? Uh, ice cream cake. I was like, wow, that's great. And he goes, he points at me, he goes, and, and you're going to take me up there. 
because I've had a little bit of wine. I was like, oh, fuck, I got out public with this guy. <laughs> so we hopped in my little Honda Civic and we uh, head out, shoot up vine up to the <laughs> up to sunset to uh, Baskin Robbins. And we go in there and most of the women behind the counter were black women. I thought, oh, God, oh, God, oh, no. And it's our turn. You know, she, she goes, can I help you? And he goes, yeah, I'd like one of these shit, shit, nigger uh, ice cream cakes here. And I turned around, walked out, and waited in the car for him. I thought, I'm not going to get that shit beat out of me right. <laughs> by an angry black woman uh-huh. coming over the goddamn counter. <laughs> That's that story. That's my Tourette <laughs> <right>. story. <laughs> uh, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> do, do you think Jim Hankel gets enough credit for writing a Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No. So much of it is him. Mm-hmm. The script, the dialogue is pretty much 90% Kim Hankel. The story, eh, it was collaboration, you know. But he's the writer of the two of them, you know. Toby wasn't a really writer. Mm-hmm. He had ideas. He concept, you know, you have a conceptualizer and then you have a fucking writer, you know, who can take your concept and and turn it into, you know, words and, you know, and a script, you know, or whatever. And, uh, that's what they were. They were a collaboration. And uh, no, I, I definitely don't think, you know, and I correct people all the time on, you know, all the, uh, the really uh, weird, funny shit in there mm-hmm. is, is Kim. Thank God. Just, you'd have to know Kim. And I know Kim quite well, still do. I, you know, I spent, uh, you know, in uh, 2019, spent a Memorial Day at his, you know, he gave Stacy and I his beach house at Port Aransas on the fucking Gulf of Mexico for five days. And uh, so, I, you know, I'm still quite close with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if you knew him and his fucking sense of humor, like he was the first writer ever, ever, I think, probably to write an unsympathetic character who sits in a fucking wheelchair. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a stroke of genius to make Franklin just a whiny, fucking obnoxious asshole. People practically cheer when he's killed, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and really, that and, would be uh, equality because, you, know, uh, you know, not just because you're in a wheelchair means you're a great person. And Paul Partain did it so well. I can't imagine anybody but Paul playing that role. I really can't. Mm -hmm. You said about the funny stuff, because I I think the first movie has a lot of comedy in it that a lot of people overlook and think, you know, obviously the second one is like overt overt comedy, but there's a lot of dark comedy in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I'm sorry. Somebody just missed me saying I was 20 minutes there when I was in Puerto Rico. Eric. Don't they know you're oh, busy? Shit. Eric Rodriguez, you know him. He's pissed off. I didn't call him. Oh, Fuck. he's, he's oh, here shit. in the chat. He said hello. I know. Uh, I'm sorry, Eric. 
uh, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I'm so sorry. Next time, pal. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck. Now I feel terrible. Um, by the way, Eric, no such thing as a beer. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, most of, uh, you know, the humor was, um, uh, both of them, you know, had six sense of humor. Yeah. It's, uh, um, it, it's also fun watching the movie again after I knew you, because you can see actually a lot of yourself in grandpa, like when you're kind of moving around. Oh, like really? Like, oh, thank uh, you. That's cool. Well. Um, um, but uh, you know, the deal of humor, it, Toby may have inspired some of it, but you know, uh, the, Kim wrote the scene and you know, and the dialogue and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and Kim uh, was responsible for most of the dialogue and and, uh, and all the weird fucking you know slurs he just made up like bitch hog and all that uh-huh. stuff. You know, <laughs> and all you know, all the all the squabbling, the arguing between. Yeah, Jim Cedow and and the Ed Neal in the dinner party scene and all that stuff. That was all, you know, all that dialogue was written, you know, on the spot, essentially, by Kim Hankel, who was sitting over there in the corner, um, uh, you know, with a legal pad and a pencil, tearing off sheets between setups, trying to try this, try this, try this, try this. You know, so... So, but you know, he's he's credited with co-writing, co-directing, co-producing. So yeah, he's got the credit. I just don't think uh, a lot of people talk about him as much. You know, as Toby. No, no, no. He, no Toby is the big hero to the fans. You know, he's. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, I think some of them might because uh, does Kim ever do like appearances? Because I don't really. No, 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 no. Rarely, he's done one. I think he did one. Did one with the, the they managed to get him and Toby at. So then, of course, nobody notified me about it. <laughs> but uh, and Toby, I haven't seen Toby since the fucking seventies. Since he fucking stood me up on a, an appointment to talk about uh, getting a role in uh, Salem's Lot, the miniseries, mm-hmm. and a tracking down on the lot lore of my production, and. Uh, he waited 45 minutes for me in his office. I had an appointment with him, you know. And his assistant was so apologetic. Like, I'm so sorry, Sean. I don't know where he is. He should have been back, you know, half an hour ago. Because she kept telling me every five minutes, he should be here any minute. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, fuck, I'm not going to sit around very long. And so I was walking back to my car. And there he was, talking to somebody. You know, like right over there. So I hollered, hey, Toby. He turned around and I walked toward him. He goes, hey, oh, hey, John. Oh, I said, we had an appointment. He goes, oh, hey, yeah, about that. He goes, you know, I thought about this. And the only thing I really, there's nothing for you in this film, which is bullshit. Because I was 20-something. I looked about fucking 17, you know. Mm-hmm. And my, I got from my agent, I already had to break down the script. I knew all the characters and everything. You know, there must have been three characters that have been perfect for it. Because I, you know, there's really nothing really for you in this. And then, uh, and uh, he said, I, uh, you know, I can give you 
$50 a day extra job. You wouldn't want to do that, would you? I said, no, I wouldn't, Toby. Thanks a lot. And I walked away. That was the last time I saw him. And that was 1970. Uh, let's see, whenever Salem's out when the production, 78, maybe. Yeah. Or 79. <laughs> uh, well, that was it on that. And then <laughs> the year before he died. Well, what about the year before he died? You saw him again? or? Tim calls, Tim only calls when I'm having dinner, taking a shower, having sex, or having on an important phone call. <laughs> he's got a second, he's got a second. Um, um, so when, when I got in the, uh, the call to do rock, paper, scissors, have you seen it, by the way? I have not. I didn't even know it was that, the Victor Miller movie. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. I feel bad. I kick ass. I kick ass. I'm man. sure you do. I will, I will definitely check this out. It's I know the, we're, we're going to have Victor Miller on for the movie. the best role I've had in a long about. time, man. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, Victor Miller and Carrie Fleming for giving me that role. But I got the role. I was supposed to play. Yeah, you know, just a one day like a cameo role. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was getting ready to send in the paperwork, the casting director got in touch with me and said, uh, John, John, don't, don't send that stuff back. Hold on. I'll get back to you. I thought, oh, I got shit can before I even started on a one-day cameo roll. So, this is great. She calls back 15 minutes later. She goes, uh, they want you to play Uncle Charles. And I was like, Uncle Charles? And Stacy was over there. She goes, Uncle Charles? The uncle? Uncle Charles? I said, yeah. She goes, the pervert? I said, yeah. The, yeah. And uh, I said, okay. And she sent me the paperwork. Yeah. And then 10 minutes later, I got a phone call. Unknown number, but it was a California number. So I answered it. Dugan, Tom Holland here. Tom Holland. How are you? I hear, I hear you're from Indiana. I got family in Indiana down by Richmond. He's talking. And Stacy's going, Tom Holm, the director, writer, rapture, guy. I said, I guess so. I said, no. And and it turned out, you know, he was directing this film and uh I you know, I didn't know who the director was or anything. I thought, what the fuck? I thought maybe he was offering me a job, mm-hmm. you know. Which apparently I already had. But uh so he told me he was very impressed with my work, and, and but he was asking me on the phone, can you handle this? It's a very important role. Can you handle it? I said, yeah, Tom, I can handle it. He, because this is a very important role. I don't know much about you. Can you handle it? So turns out he went to Toby. He and Toby were best friends. One were at Toby's house. They were talking, and he asked about me. And uh, Toby said, so this is the last time told me fuck me over right before he died he uh he said well you know because guy he said can he act can he handle this role and told me when i don't know only real reason i hired him was because of his stature so the last thing he does for me before he fucking dies is try to get me shit canned out of a really juicy acting job you know mm-hmm. so and if you've noticed between you know us you know the the original cast. Uh, yeah, you know, there is no, there is no love lost. There. 
Yeah, I remember. But he wouldn't even. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, Gunnar had told me um, at a convention once that Toby would, when people would invite Toby to a convention, he would specifically say he wouldn't do it if, if, other, if other cast members of Texas Chainsaw Massacre were there, which well, Gunnar was, said would know, really hurt a lot of the cast members because it would up that, you know, they would do well if everyone was there together, obviously. Oh, God, if Toby had been there? Yeah. Shit, man. Yeah, we wouldn't, I don't think we would have jumped him and beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> right. Um, we probably would have been civil, but um, he was booked a couple times at shows that I was supposed to do, two or three times, and it was always like he'd cancel it last minute because doctor's orders. And it was usually like I, he can't fly because of an ear infection. Mm-hmm. Just like the dog ate my homework, you know. Yeah. So. Why, why do you think that is? That. Uh... Why? Why is there like that disconnect with him and, and the cast members? I don't know. He liked it. I think, you know, his ego was so fucking huge that he felt like he'd done it all himself. Mm-hmm. You know, that we hadn't worked our ass off for next to nothing for the summer. He didn't want to give us any credit at all. So, you know, uh, subsequently, he didn't hire any of us for, uh, except for Jim Cedal, for the second one. Mm-hmm. You know. I could have, I could have done, I could have kicked ass as grandpa in a second. Sure. And you, know? you know? Yeah. And why have a different person play uh, Leatherface? Well, yeah, no reason to have a different Leatherface. Because they wouldn't offer, they offered him scale. Mm-hmm. Scale plus 10, which is uh, the 10% goes to Asian. So it's essentially scale. For recreating a role in a film that made them Fucking God knows how much money, you know. It was just fucking rude. Um, I didn't, you know. I just wanted a job. I just wanted a chance to work, you know. And it, it just—it would have been a gentlemanly thing to do to put everybody in the first one, in the second one that actually had a budget and could pay you a decent day rate. You know, I made $637 on the whole goddamn movie playing two roles. I was there for a fucking month working as a, a PA and, you know, doing all sorts of shit. Or more than a month, probably. But I don't know. You look um, so serious. I, I'm okay. I was, just, well, I was just wondering about uh, how, how you feel about Texas Chainsaw Massacre then. And has your, how, how, how you feel about a change over the years. You mean the subsequent films? Uh, not the movie itself, just being part of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because I would think uh, maybe before the conventions and stuff, you might not have been, you might have looked at it different than, you know, l- later on when you're, you're benefiting from, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. How do I feel about now compared to when I... <laughs> yeah. God damn it, she does that to you. Anytime I'm doing one of these things, I'm sitting outside. <laughs> She goes home from work, takes off all her clothes and stands in that fucking doorway <laughs> dancing. All right. <laughs> By the time I get in there, she'll be fully clothed. I was like, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> God, she's a barrel full of laughs. So I love my wife so much. Um, she's always been very nice to me. Huh? I said, she's always been very nice to me. Oh, she's a very nice individual. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think I was there when you guys met. Huh? I think I was there when you guys met in uh, Kalamazoo. We met in St. Louis, but the second time I met her was in Kalamazoo. Yeah. Or I talked to her quite a bit there. And then uh, again in uh, Nashville, that was it. You know, we met three times and then we uh, went out and then it was less than a year later I moved in with her, I think. <laughs> yeah, Kalamazoo is a big bust, but, but but good things came out of it. Yeah, what a shithole fucking... Uh, <laughs> not city, you know, I'm not saying... But yeah, a, yeah. a shit... A shitty fucking con. Uh-huh. That guy... Thank God, that guy was trying to get me to come up on a one-way ticket, and after he made some money... He buy me the return ticket. I went, no, you're not going to strand me in fucking Kalamazoo. Uh-huh. So he came up with some more money to get me a round trip. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he had to run and find more money to pay for my hotel room. I oh, this is going to be Yeah, I remember the last day, some of the people were actually locked out of their hotel uh, for a little while. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's it's funny now to look back, but I remember at the Plus time. Plus, it was on. Wasn't the best, yeah. I, I was so cold all goddamn weekend, too. You know, sitting on the ice. Yeah, I, re- I remember because I was like 340 pounds. You so know, the, the cold didn't bother me at the time, but I remember everyone else was freezing. Oh. And Annabelle's like, because we had drinks, and she's like, look at this. Yeah, you were like, oh, on, this, on is so, this is so comfortable. Yeah, and like yeah, the coats that were sitting cold. there, they were frozen. They were like, they turned ice. <laughs> and <laughs> there was like three quarters, there was three quarters plywood on top of the ice, but still. You know. Yeah. And then there was an old guy when you'd step out and smoke a cigarette, if you didn't close the door, you'd come out and yell at you. You're going <laughs> to melt the ice. You'll slam the door. <laughs> Back when I smoked. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and, that's still. I'll tell you what, though. That VIP party, that picture of us dancing. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that was a fucking good party. It was a good party. Yeah. He spent most of his budget on that. <laughs> yeah, he. he you know? I, I remember when we were there, and you, you were like, you even told me you're like. Uh, this guy's probably not going to pay everybody. So get because he was pay he was paying for all the drinks, and you're like, get the top shelf stuff when you're getting the drinks. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. This guy, yeah, <laughs> order, drink fast and order top shelf. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then uh, I have a video of uh, when I was doing karaoke, and, and you make an appearance in the karaoke, which is very fun too. But I'm not supposed to. Oh my karaoke. god. Yeah. What did I sing? Do you uh, I was singing uh, Love Shack with... Uh, with That's my karaoke song. Oh, really? Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to do it sometime. <laughs> oh, was I like your backup or something? Uh, yeah. It was me, Annabelle, and um, I forget the... Uh, I'm sorry, I forget her name, but she, um, she does cosplay. You probably know the name, but I forget the name, but... Um, but you were uh, you you were you and your now wife uh, were just like in in the front, and then uh, you started to sing with us for some. I'm not sure why, but it was oh. yeah. Oh, was it uh, the other one, uh, Barbara? Barbara Evans? Yeah, yeah, that's her. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, she and Bill were there that week. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Bob Elmore, I think he makes an appearance in the karaoke, but he doesn't sing. I think he just stands stoically and waves. But it was still- was that the one? Is that was that at where the riding the the bull riding the mechanical bull was? No, I don't know. Or was that a different Michigan <laughs> show? I, I'm I, the only bull riding I've been a part of was in Texas, but I don't think you were there, so this must. Oh, been okay. Connection. So it was another one. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, Oh, no, that was in uh, Nebraska or South Dakota or something like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you have Somewhere a go-to karaoke there. song, John? Do you ever do karaoke? No, I certainly try not to. <laughs> I used to go to this karaoke at this old bar in southern Indiana. And uh, uh, there are several... Uh, a couple of female singers that I used to pick their songs and sing them because essentially they were in my vocal range and I could switch some of the uh, some of the uh, lyrics. You know, the, the lyrics weren't real one sex or the other, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, it was Cheryl Crow and and uh, Bonnie Raitt, you know. And the guy always go, really? I say, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to sing, you know, just by Bonnie Raitt. You go, and people go nuts for it. You know, because they never just heard a guy sing it before. I remember doing that. But boy, you know, alcohol and microphones don't mix, man. I kind of think it's the only way because since I've uh, (laughs) since I stopped drinking, I uh, I don't enjoy the karaoke. Don't do karaoke. No more karaoke. Yeah, it is the only way. (laughs) Uh, Because I remember in 2018 at Boston Underground Film Festival, I did uh, Monster Mash, and I thought it was awesome. And everyone there thought it was great. They're like, yeah, it was great. And they put it up on their uh, Instagram. I was like, hell yeah, it was awesome. Then last year I did the same uh, same uh, festival, same song, and I and I thought, man, that sucked. But everyone else was like, oh, that was just as, that was better than last year. It was amazing. And I realized I was the only one in the group that was no longer drinking. So I realized that that's the uh, that was the difference. Uh-huh. <laughs> but everyone else enjoyed it. So that, that, that's the main thing. But uh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> was it hard for you to stop um not so much uh not like when i was at home but when i started to do uh conventions and festivals again it was because like it was weird yeah. to be like in a social gathering uh, yeah i'd not be drinking yeah because it's uh, and no one like no one no one like that was no one's like no one made me feel uncomfortable or anything like that uh, it was just kind of my own thing. Like I just felt weird being at it. So the last time I did drink was I did drink at Boston Underground Film Festival last year, but it was just at, at the after party, just because I, I felt like I, I needed to fit in. And so that so I quit drinking in November 2018, and then I had a a, dr- a couple drinks in February 2019, and nothing since then. Oh, wow, yeah. But uh, um. But yeah, just a couple of the uh, conventions at first, it was weird. But after that, it, it's been fine. Yeah. And I find most, uh, everyone, no one's like, hey, you, you know, you should drink or whatever. Everyone's cool about it. You know, I, uh, after I got back it was on a big, the road. It was a big part. I mean, you know, from the conventions, I would drink a lot. It oh, was it's like a huge part of conventions, you know. Yeah. And oh, God, we sat up till fucking three in the morning more than once, you know. 
sometimes to the light came up. And because uh, I remember people would it was switch over to cognac, you know, be right sitting there at three in the morning with a brandy snifter, you know, like you're some sort of a British fucking lord or some shit. So. Right. These plebes here, this is blah, blah, blah. but. Uh, <laughs> but when I got back on the road after I'd recovered from all my cancer bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying not to drink. You know, I didn't drink for six months. And, um, hell, I didn't eat solid food for six months. I had a feeding tube in, you know. Um, um, so when I got back on the road, then I started having a beer here and there. Um, I really wasn't drinking all that much. I was trying to stay relatively sober when I was out of town because I still had a problem with being really exhausted and being able to sleep. Oh, fuck. I could have slept 18 hours straight, you know, for a few months there. So I wanted to be able to get up and get at it in the morning, you know, and take, you know, beat my fans and everything. And people actually, I thought, you know, people insist on buying me a drink or whatever, you know, Mm-hmm. And people would bring me a bottle of beer or whatever, and I'd, I'd thank them, you know, put it down. And then somebody wanted, you know, put it down here, and I'd sip on it, you know. And I'd always have, yeah, during the course of the day, four or five, you know, even six six beers, you know. But when it was time to uh, have something to eat and then go drinking all night somewhere, I would have something to eat and a couple drinks with dinner and go back to my room and uh, they, people were very understanding. I want to join them, you know, because of, you know, that I've been ill. If I, you know, if I just told them, no, I'm not trying not to drink, they'd go, oh, fuck you. <laughs> you know, uh, bullshit. I know you do it. You know, that sort of thing. Cause I do have a reputation that I always have, you know, of enjoying my alcohol. I still do, you know, but, um, I don't know. Sorry, we got on that. So. <laughs> no, I, no I mean, it was a big part of uh, being the conventions, and, you know, people knew I drank a lot. and would, uh, Some of those conventions, like, I just ha- would have nothing but booze, like, the whole weekend. It was like a liquid diet for the weekend. But. Yeah, yeah, just forget to eat. <laughs> yeah. I, you mentioned Duck Band when we, before we went live, and I remember uh, when I did worry a little bit, because Duck Band was like, because if anyone knows this, nothing against Duck Band, I like Duck Band, but he has a lot of issues, and he goes, because he would call me Jack. He's like, Jack, I think, I think you've got a problem there. You've got to eat something. You're drinking so much. And I was thinking, man, if Duckman thinks I have a problem, I don't know. This might be uh, Who, who was it? Was I'm Duck sorry. Duckman. Oh, Duckman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. And I love Duckman. So oh, somebody. Against them, but. I had a cook that worked for me at a sports bar in Chicago, Ernie, who would just bring me. He'd make me something to eat and just bring it to me, you know. Here, so Ernie, I'm not hungry. Dugan, you got to feed that alcohol. You got to feed the alcohol. <laughs> so, well, so I'd eat something. Otherwise, you know, yeah. it, it like it never affected like anything I was doing because I, you know, I do a lot of those. I did all the 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 panels, you know, and we'd be up sometimes till five in the morning, and people were like, "Are you going to be able to do the panels at like 11 I'd be like, "Yeah, it'd be fine." And, I'd always be fine for them, but so it never like negatively affected anything I was doing. No, oh, that panel we did in Indianapolis with that. I started fucking with that guy who said he was a 
I, I was like, what do you do? So I, I'm a skater. I'm a skateboarder. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah. But that's her job. Well, yeah, and he, oh God, he was so fucking wasted. We all started fucking with him and everything. Uh, yeah, that was, was just like, like that was just some panel we set up in the hallway. We just set up a table. And yeah, started. it was in it was in the hallway right outside the convention room. Yeah, it wasn't part of the convention. Yeah, it was just something we were doing. No, no, it was, and it also it was right by the entryway to to that. Uh, the newer wing of the hotel over there, so we were catching people as they went back to their rooms after getting trash. You know, <laughs> funny. Uh huh. Yeah. You, me, and Troy, and Duckman, what? Yeah, we Duckman. Uh, no, Duckman oh, was Will, one in Chicago. And, and, and Will, Will and Will uh, Bozarth. Bozarth. What happened to him? Um, I I I saw him somewhere. Not uh, he was in Charlotte for Mad Monster, I think. It's the last time I saw. Oh. Yeah, I've never done that. Never done. I love to do that show. I, I always, uh, I, you know, I always put a good word for you. It hasn't helped, yeah. so I, I don't know what good that does. But I put in a good uh, word. Ab had an issue with me because of a rumor that was going around. I'll, I'll tell you in private sometime okay. what it was, and who I think was involved in uh, spreading it. But. Mm-hmm. No, but I always uh, put a good uh, word in for for my friends at uh, conventions. It doesn't always help. Sometimes it does. Oh, I do too, man. Uh, Tristan, oh, I always. Uh, I'm sorry always to uh, take all the questions. Do you have something to do at? Oh, it's okay. Um, I do have a question. If I'm not mistaken, um, is it true that a plastic surgeon uh, actually did the makeup? For Texas Chainsaw, and also, how was the process where the masks comfortable? I was just wondering if you could speak on the special effects and makeup a little bit. So yes, it was. It, he was. He was a plastic surgeon. Uh, Charles Barnes was a plastic surgeon uh, on in uh, the north. Well, north central Austin. He was on the other side of uh, the creek. Um, have you ever been in Austin? I have not. No, I haven't either. Uh, I've been to Dallas. So there's north, north of the campus area. You know, the, the it's a neat town, and it's been so long since so I spent much time down by the university. But he lived north of there, and there's Barton Springs that that goes uh, past Lamar, and uh, it's essentially a dry creek bed until it rains like hell up in the hills and then it turns into a roaring. T- no, I don't think it is Barton's Barton Springs is something else. Anyway, it just turns into this roaring river, you know, uh, when there's a storm up in the hills, uh, that he lived north of there. It's, you know, it's kind of hilly, uh, it's t- Texas hill country up there and, uh, it's hilly and rocky. And his office was in his house, which was this unbelievable home that he had designed. It was very much um, sort of Frank Lloyd Wrightish sort of prairie home thing, kind of tucked into the rocky hill there. With a, uh, it was two stories with a uh, that flat sort of. You know, to, you know, anyway, it wasn't like an, anyway, <laughs> um, 
And there was a uh, tile and concrete swimming pool in the back uh, tucked up against the hill. And his office was there. And how this, uh, how he started it was to, um, let me just say the guy was a young, probably young, he was in his 40s or, and uh, he, um, he was a, a cosmetic surgeon, a photographer. He was a photographer for Penthouse Magazine for 20-something years, uh, a painter and a sculptor. He was just a very, he was one of those guys. And so he was multi-talented, relatively young, good-looking, and stinking rich. He just want to slap the fuck out of him. <laughs> like, like he could do anything. Really nice guy, and his office was was there, and and so I went the first time I met him. They did a uh, a life mask of me, which they used uh, dental alginate, like they used to take dental impressions. He, he pours that all over my face, then he wrapped it in uh, plaster of Paris gauze, you know, plaster gauze like they. They make, uh, they used to make casts out of a few broken arm or something. And then uh, from that, you know, and then they tell you, you sit there, you can't, oh, you have straws up your nose and that's it. You can't see anything. You know, wait there until everything sets up. And so it can be rather claustrophobic, but I've had it done several times now and it's never really bothered me. It didn't even bug me the first time. I've always been able just to go away, <laughs> you know fall asleep, you know. Uh, but uh, so then he, he took that, the negative, and made a positive out of uh, Plaster Paris. Then he took wax and sculpting tools, and he aged me, essentially, along my, you know, along the age lines, you know, along the different places in my face where you would traditionally age. And uh, slinking down in the seat, hopefully. There, do I look more human now? <laughs> no, you're I was right, like, you're right. I look like fucking. <laughs> I don't know who I look like. Um, and uh, he aged me, you know, with wax on this thing. And then he took uh, liquid latex, spread it all over the wax impression of me as a 115 year old man. And uh, then he, he took those masks that he made and he cut them up into sections, which were then uh, on set, were then applied uh, to my face, the spirit gum in sections. It's like there was a upper lip, lip, nose, actually, you know, like that. Those cheek, cheek, lower lip, neck, neck, neck forehead and then uh he did ears too i reckon and then uh wrapped my hair in the an ace bandage and put a, a skull cap on me and then added crepe hair and uh and painted you know painted me and that's how the makeup came but he gave me a tour of that house and uh it was just beautiful it had a lot of his own paintings there which were really neat 
and uh, but his the master bedroom. There was a sliding glass door with a platform outside of it that was over the deep end of that beautiful tile and concrete pool. So he could roll out of bed in the morning and dive into the pool. You know, I thought, man, I gotta have me one of these someday. <laughs> God, I was so envious of him. He was a really, really nice guy. And uh, so the first time, um, Trista, if I'm not answering your question, jump in at any time. Uh, the first time they, the, the first time he put it on me, assisted by our, our makeup person, Dorothy Pearl, there were two of them. So the first time, uh, the late, great Dorothy Pearl, she passed away a few years ago. Um, uh, it took them about seven hours to put it on because they had they weren't really clear on how it was going to work. You know. And then the second time, and then I worked for, I had to work for about 10 hours probably. And then the second time they put it on, they had it down to about, about four and a half or five hours. It was much faster. Um, but I had to work for about 20. <laughs> so, you know, Ed Neal could tell you exactly how long. <laughs> You know, we were on set that day, but it was well over 24 hours. You know? And uh, I was in that makeup the whole fucking time. It didn't come off. It was glued down. Gunner, uh, Gunner's masks were made by Robert Burns. His were removable, but they were not easily removable. Um, so supposedly if the break between setup was going to be more than 15 minutes long, they'd let him take his, uh, um, mask off. But anytime that 15 minute mark hit, Toby say, Oh no, no, we're almost ready. We're almost ready. Never got to take it off. You know? So, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was awful. I was going to say, like, uh, uh, you know, people like Ed Neal, did you stay in touch with them, you know, right after the movie? Or was it more, you know, once the convention started that, you you know, you started to? Uh... Uh, I, I, I kept in touch with old Kim, you know, and I lived, Jesus, really close to each other in, in Hollywood, like on the same street. Um, except he lived up the hill and I lived down on the flat part. Uh-huh. But he had a nicer place than I did. But um, it's still a tiny little place. Uh, for so for a while, Kim and I lived um, lived real close to each other. So I'd stop by his place. He'd call me, you know, when I was closing up the joint that I worked on Franklin Avenue. He'd call me and say, "What time you get out there?" I said, "About an hour." He goes, "Why don't you come by?" I'd come by. And he'd have cold beer in the fridge and some other stuff, and he always. It generally, when he was uh, he was blocked, I think, then he liked to listen to me talk and tell stories and shit, and then then he start typing, and I quietly leave, you know. Mm-hmm. But he was always sitting at his desk with his old Underwood or Royal or whatever it was, an old black typewriter, you know, real old fashioned one. Um, 
but Ed Neal and I, uh, Ed Neal was kind of our, still is sort of our uh, family historian. And uh, he kind of kept the group all, all together. And also probably is the one uh, to get us all together to realize, you know, there's money to be made on the road, mm-hmm. you know, if we uh, do it right. So, so he and I had always kept together, uh, kept in touch over the years, but then I didn't start uh, seeing everybody until 20 years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ed's always really nice to me at the conventions, but he'll never come on the show. I don't know why. Why? I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't like to do interviews. I don't know. I don't know. But he's always super nice to me at all the conventions. That is very nice. Yeah. Huh. Uh, how about some of the other, like, uh, from the other movies? Because it seems like, you know, you guys all get together well. Is there, like, a, you know, a friendship with, you know, people even in the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, even if you do Oh, like yeah. Them? We're all one big family, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like I hang out with, uh, you know, Renee Zellweger or, you know, Matthew McConaughey or uh, anything. I was asking you to get him on the show. But... Or uh, what's his name? uh Vigo Morgison. Yeah, Vigo. Vigo Mor. I'd love to hang out with him, man. I I, I love that guy. Uh-huh. Uh, I love him as an actor. Have you seen Captain Fantastic by any chance? I have not actually. Oh God! Yeah. Oh God! It was up for uh, all sorts of Academy Awards and everything. What a marvelous film! What a marvelous film! I never appreciated. I never cared for the song. So you say Trista's seen it? Yeah. I have, yeah. He's a great actor. I I never could stand the song Sweet Child of Mine. Uh-huh. And I never appreciated how beautiful that song it was until I saw that film. Would you agree with me on that? Trista? Um... I don't know if I would agree personally, but it makes sense to me. I understand why. I still don't. I'm not crazy about that song. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, well, no, I always hate it. Until it, it but told. it is the beautiful scene in the film. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's it. It was just the whole setup. You know. I need to see this. I've, I've never liked fucking screaming big hair rock idiots a whole lot uh-huh. you know <clears throat> what kind of music is drawn into what kind of music are you into i'm sort of i'm, in, I'm into hell i don't know all sorts of stuff dead dick hammer i, I know that but. you know all right what dead dick hammer oh yeah of course dead dick hammer but uh um He's my best friend. You know, he was my best man at our wedding, at Stacy at my wedding. Oh, I, well, I didn't know that. I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan myself. He's really, he put a sticker, I love Dead Dick, on, on one of my on my ba- my camera bag at a convention. Oh, shit, man. Yeah, I used to have a bunch of them that I would I'd stick on things I'd give to people and everything. Uh-huh. I uh, My one roller bag has a, a Dead Dick hammer bumper sticker on it, uh-huh. you know. And uh, I had one that said, uh, one of my uh, bags said dead dick camera. And then it was like, a, a fuck Trump or something. 
another sticker. Uh-huh. Just to make, because I have a really in, nondescriptive dark gray, uh, cheap, hard, hard-sided hard bag. It looks like so many others out there, and I travel so much. I need something to identify it. Well, I actually learned something, uh, a trick from uh, wrestlers. They said to to get like a really flamboyant like uh, luggage because then uh, it's easier to spot out when you're at the, at the airport, and it's also less likely someone else will take it back to them. So that's why I've oh yeah really yeah I've like oh, well my my, my mother in law my mother in law has uh, her luggage is black and white oversized houndstooth plaid. You know, I've uh-huh. never seen any other like it. And you, you see it as soon as it come down the I'll pick her up at the airport. As soon as it comes down, the thing is like, there's your stuff. All right. Yeah, I have this weird luggage with like Las Vegas. It looks like stickers all over it. And people are like, oh, you just came from back from Vegas. I'm like, no, I haven't been there since in like 20 years. But I just have the luggage because it stands <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, when the anti-Trump, uh, the dead dick camera sticker was stolen, there was some asshole in the luggage department had taken my anti-Trump fucking sticker <laughs> off of it uh-huh. and trashed it. <laughs> really? Jeez. So, you know, I have an ACLU sticker and I have a Planned Parenthood sticker and I they're just on my desk. I, I don't want to put them on. Well, if I put them on, on my truck, somebody will set my truck on fire because I live in Tennessee. You know? And, uh, I don't want to put them on my luggage and have somebody tear, you know, rip them off again. So, isn't that a shame? Yeah, it is. It is a shame. My, uh, he moved, but uh, my neighbors over here across the street had this giant Trump flag. Like it was this giant, enormous flag over his garage. And then he also had one. It was the whole uh, window it was just this giant Trump, just this big Trump Pence flag stuck in the window. That's all you could see over the whole house. But when he was selling the house, he took that all down because I, fi- I assume he thought he probably wouldn't be able to sell it. Uh, oh, fuck. Because yeah. <laughs> I live in a pretty liberal area. I mean, he really stands out. Yeah, I would say fucking... Where do you live? Cape Cod? Cape Cod, yeah. I live, you know, pretty close to Provincetown. Very liberal area. Um, oh, hell, I know. <laughs> Uh, Spring break in P-Town. Woo-hoo! Um, but, oh. oh, what kind of music? Do I, um, <laughs> right, right. I forgot myself. I'm a huge Dylan fan. I'm big on singer-songwriters. Uh-huh. I like uh, blues of all kinds. Um, old rock and roll. Uh, newer sort of alt-rock I like. Um, but the whole... The whole era from the middle 70s is about the middle 80s. I just didn't really like at all. You know, I don't like all the hair music and all the fucking, you know, headbanging fucking metal music and all that shit. Uh-huh. I actually, as I've aged and I live in the country again, I've grown to like some really good country music, you know. Good old-fashioned country music. I don't like this pop country that, you know, this crossover country so much that people are doing now. I like the really pure, you know, good country music, good, good writing, and with a good twangy uh, pedal steel guitar, in it, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Tyler here wants to know what kind of movies you watch. 
comedies. <laughs> We're a comedy household. Uh-huh. Um, I like documentaries. Documentaries uh, a lot. I do too, actually. And I like uh, I like offbeat, you know, um, artsy films and porn films and stuff. Mm-hmm. But Stacy is an escapist when it comes to to films, and she wants something that's going to make her laugh or feel good. You know? mm-hmm. And then we do uh, watch some horror, you know. For one thing, we are to see if we see any friends of ours, you right, know. Right. <laughs> and uh, so we occasionally watch horror, scary shit, you know. I've been trying to get you to watch Umbilicus Desidero for a couple of years now. Oh, God, you know, I keep meaning to. Uh-huh. It's only like a six-minute film. Oh, four minutes. Minutes. <laughs> I need to do that. Uh-huh. I have so many things on my, you know, well, my computer hasn't worked for a while, so everything's on my phone. I see all these excuses. I've got so much stuff that I need to, I have scripts I need to read that are there somewhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But with the, you know, everything going to shit this last year, no rush to read the scripts, you know. Yeah, it's a weird uh, time. Yeah. It I, takes I, long I enough to a, finance a film anyway. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> What's I that? Got, you know? I got you to do a cameo for our movie, which was fun. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Tristan and I have a movie, but it's secret. We can't talk about it, but uh, I can tell you off air. That's how I met Tristan, was on a movie set. Oh. She's the well, out in L.A.? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, LA, I'm so. not well, well, lost. Uh, up, up in Big Bear or wherever you were. Yeah, Lake not Arrowhead. Big Bear, but it was right next to Big Bear. I always forget the name of it. something Arrow, maybe. Lake Arrow. Lake Arrow. Lake Arrowhead. Lake Arrowhead. Yeah. Yeah, really nice yeah. area. It's a cool experience. I used to go up to uh, up that area from Los Angeles. Um, Southern California is so cool because you can be. You got a couple of days off. Do I want to go to the beach? Do I want to go to the mountains? Do I want to go to the desert? And you can be at any of those places in like a fucking hour or two. Yeah. Right. Um, but I used to like to go up to Crestline, California, which is a little town. It's kind of a redneck town, uh, close to the, the ski resorts, uh, uh, close to Big Bear and Lake Arrowhead in the San Bernardino Mountains. And uh, I get a little trashy cabin, a little one room uh, cabin. Uh, with like a hot plate, a little fridge, and a couple of pots and pans, and you had to bring in paper plates and shit like that. And a shower for like ten dollars a night in the off season, the summertime, and when it wasn't ski time. Mm-hmm. Fuck, it was cheaper than staying at home, staying in L.A. You know, <laughs> right? Go up there and go hiking, and then you know. Head over to Lake Arrowhead and uh, or Big Bear and have lunch in some restaurant right on the lake, you know. And uh, then instead of going down to San Bernardino on the way back to L.A., go down the backside, down through the desert, and then uh, I guess that's the Mojave Desert down there. And then come back up to the Angeles National Forest, and all of a sudden you come down the hill on the other side, on Highway 2, you come down, all of a sudden, you're in fucking Pasadena. Before you know it, it's like, boom. It's so cool. And one time, I had gone to, we, we had, me and the person I was with, 
we had gone down the backside over to the desert. Instead of go, heading back to L.A., we went the other direction, headed out of ways to the desert, and we found just a bar and grill in the middle of nowhere. We pulled in the parking lot, and as we were fixing the... As, as we... <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Young people on their four-wheelers. <laughs> If I was young and I had one, I'd be doing it too. Um, but as we were getting out of my car, this uh, all these ultralights, one after another, started landing on the highway and uh, pulling into the parking lot. Coming in, it was a fucking ultralight club, and uh, they stopped for lunch and a couple beers, and it was like a flying motorcycle gang. It was so cool. And that was another, I'm moving out here and I'm buying a fucking ultralight. You know? It was so neat. What, what <laughs> I love Southern California. What have you been doing That's lately fun. since, you know, since there aren't uh, conventions going on? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I cook. I think mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a house husband. I, Stacy works full time, you know, and I, I, you know, I haven't worked. I had one gig in January in Huntsville, Alabama, brought a few hundred dollars in. And uh, it was a really neat place, an old factory warehouse, a huge building that had turned into sort of an uh, artist colony, you know, studios, little shops and stuff. And, uh, but that was the last gig I had and everything else, you know, it started canceling. Uh, so essentially within two weeks, I, every job I had booked and I was booking like crazy this year. I thought it's going to be a good year. Everything just went in the toilet. And, uh, so I uh, try to make sure that when Stacy gets home from work, she has nothing to do except relax, you know. I do all the shopping and cleaning and cooking and laundry and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I have a few plants, you know, that I planted and I fuck around with. I've got a cucumber, a couple uh-huh. of tomatoes, nothing impressive, you know. I think that's pretty impressive right there. I'm sure you haven't. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in, garden. I have a rocking chair over there on the porch. I spent a lot of time there and I have my, uh, my dog, uh, you know, mess around with. Sometimes we'll just go for a drive. Dog and I'll get in the truck and go for a drive in the country. You know. Yeah. What kind of dog? She'll you hang. Uh, yeah, she'll she'll hang her head out the window. So, you know, I'm I'm sort of living the life of a retired country gentleman, really. Very good. AJ says I, he bets you make a uh, good chili. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> I use a combination. <laughs> I, I I use a combination of of of. Uh, the fresh pork sausage and the beef, uh, like uh, like a pot roast, like a chuck roast or something, only yeah. cut up like beef stew meat, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, I do make fucking good chili. I don't know if you Takes remember this, day. Uh, a few years ago, we had an idea where we were going to do like it would be like a combination of cooking show. In interviews, because we we said like when people are drinking and eating, that's where like conversation starts. And 
it would be like you making chili oh, yeah. or barbecue, and then it would be so much fun. People and yeah, it'd be so too. much fun. Mm-hmm. The best it's conversations fun. are over a dinner table. You know, I agree. That was I, like you and I uh, and uh, Annabelle going out to dinner after not seeing each other for years. You know, mm-hmm. in uh, Worcester, mm-hmm. so, it was so great. We closed yeah, the place right. down. You know. We did. I didn't even realize. I felt bad because we looked around. And oh, was fuck. Like, oh, we, they were, they were cleaning up around us. We were practically <laughs> yeah. lifting up our feet so they could mop under us. You know? It was like uh, maybe, maybe all, we all of a sudden we realized, oh, shit, maybe we better get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And they were nice, so they and didn't then, really interrupt uh, us or anything. Uh, one other night at that, no, it wasn't that show. It was New Jersey, New Jersey uh, Horror Film Festival. Horror convention of film festival. Oh, bizarre! I had dinner with. Huh? Oh, I remember when we were at Bazaar AC in Atlantic City, and uh, you taught us how oh, to order yeah. uh, uh, martinis. How to drink a martini? How to what? How to how to get the proper martini and right. drink it? Yeah, yeah. And we shared a big thing of chicken wings too. Yes, we did. Yeah, a lot of chicken wings. Um, but I had dinner with uh, Bob Camp. Uh, the artist creator of Ren and Stimpy. Oh, really? Uh, at that show, you know, he and uh, he and his wife and and uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours and from Texas. And uh, what a great fucking dinner! God, he's an interesting cat, really interesting. And uh, I'd hang with him any fucking day, man. Because yeah, I think the first, particularly the first season of Ren and Stimpy, is some of the best television I have ever seen. Animated television, for sure. By far, the best. <laughs> Written. Good shit I've ever seen. And it's something that I could, I could watch with my daughter. Hmm. Because she thought it was funny from the funny cartoon aspect, and... and some of the shit was so adult, so it was, oh my god! I can just think of old episodes of Ren and Stimpy and start laughing. <laughs> but uh, so you know, I I've, I've had some great conversations. You know, we had a big dinner in in Palm Beach, uh, West Palm. Uh, ooh, fucking seven years ago! Damn. Uh, I was at a convention and uh, uh, Danny Hicks, you know, who we just lost last week. Fuck. Danny Hicks and uh, Tim. uh, Shit. (laughs) Fuck, I can't think of his last name. Who were both in, uh, who both, you know, who both grew up in Michigan, grew up with some. uh, with um, oh fuck, what's his name? Who played Ash? I can't remember anybody. Bruce Campbell. Oh yeah, we're there, and it turned out to be a dog of a show because it was the first named, the first named Tropic Storm the uh, Storm of the Year blew in, so nobody showed up. Half the celebrities couldn't get. You know, we're stuck in like the Atlanta airport, shit like that. And the show just fucking collapsed, you know. So we were all like living on our per diem. 
you know, and Tim, uh, Tim got in touch with Bruce Campbell, who was doing uh, burn notice at the time. May have been his final season, some final season of that show or close to it. And said, you know, hey, uh, you know, we're in town at this convention who just, who just crashed because the weather and all that shit. He goes, yeah, Bruce said, just get a bunch of fucking horror actors together and uh, meet me at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. We'll have a big round table dinner and conversation. And he says, it's on me. It's, he said, oh, it was all on Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> so we had a private dining room at the, at the Ruth's Chris, you know, in, in West Palm this huge square table, um, you know, with Bruce in the middle of one side of it and all of us all the way around it and, uh, had drinks, fucking marvelous dinner and lively conversation. And, and, uh, and he just smiled the whole time. He loved to do, apparently he loves to do that. Uh, the first time, uh, Stacy met Danny was at a, uh, she was, uh, a handler for one of the women from uh, something. <laughs> and uh, I guess it was from one of those Evil Dead movies or something. And um, um, that's the first place she met Danny Hicks and, and Bruce Campbell was, um, you know, she got invited because she was handling one of the, uh, one of the actresses that got invited to this dinner. So he does it because he's, he's known for doing that. But, you know, he just likes food, drink, and lively conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's very generous because he, you know, is one of those people who really managed to turn it into a, you know, to a certain amount of wealth. I don't know how much money he has, but he's not hand of mouth like a lot of us are, you know, in the low-budget, you know, horror film business. So, nice time to give back a little bit. Yeah. And I got to meet, uh, I never met him in person, but I got to know Danny Hicks through you, through our mutual friendship. But uh, ah. he's a really nice guy. He's like, uh, if you're friends with John, you must be a good guy. So it, it, uh, he, well, that was really nice oh, God, yeah. to do with him. I think at the time, looking back, he knew he was sick because he taught, because he had a, his voice wasn't uh, doing so well. And he mentioned he had problems, but he didn't really go into it. And I think, you know, at the time, he he probably knew. Well, he he's had chronic pain from he's had chronic pain from back issues for years, mm-hmm. and the last time no, I, I saw him since then, but I spent a weekend with him at uh, uh, Tim O'Save and uh, Tim and Angie's house outside of St. Louis, and we hung around the pool uh, and uh, just talked and drank and smoked dope and shit like that and swam. And he had a uh, fentanyl patch on then from chronic pain. Mm -hmm. But it was due to a bad back injury from several years before that had gotten worse. But I remember him taking it off, and I said, what's that? He goes, a fentanyl patch. He goes, I'm going to get in the pool. And and, uh, he goes, and I'm going to drink, and I can't. He says, if I get in the pool, it'll be dangerous for you guys. (laughs) You know? Because the fentanyl will leach out of the water if you jump in the pool. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he said, and then I'm going to have a few drinks. And I can't really, the stuff's so strong, I can't drink up top of it. So. Oh. And then I did one convention with him after that, I think. And I hadn't seen him for a while. I just 
not we were both on the road we didn't you know do the same uh, mm-hmm. shows or anything yeah yeah he was never at any of the shows i was at um just never ran into him um adrian wants to know is there any place you can get a good grandpa mask a big what a good grandpa mask yeah, Trick or Treat is a uh, Trick or Treat Studios is the one that's designed that I helped uh, I helped uh, with. Mm-hmm. It's, it's taken it's taken. I did all the measurements of my face oh, really? and everything. It's t- so it's taken. Well, I did. My roommate Randy did at the time. <laughs> but uh, it was designed from photographs and from actual measurements of my face and head and all that stuff. And uh, and the guy Connor DeLess, who who sculpted it, is really talented. Talented. So um, that's the only one that I would recommend. is Trick or Treat Studios. I'm uh, sure it's like Trick or Treat Studios dot com. Okay. Yeah, because he said he wants to go as Grandpa and his son as Leatherface for Halloween this year. Oh. Great idea. I agree. He can enter our annual Halloween uh, costume contest. Maybe he can win two years in a row. Uh, I, oh, I think actually, man, I think Dead to Camera has autographed uh, oh, really? Grandpa masks that he, he he might sell you if you okay. uh, might be cheaper than buying one and asking me to autograph it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John always charges me double for. <laughs> Uh, he wants to know what performer would you like to see play you if they made the John Dugan story? Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke? All right, we can see that. That would work. Not that he looks like I just love him as an actor. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the main thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, speaking of autographs, can people still get like uh, if they're looking for an eight by ten or whatever autograph? Can, can they get that from you? Oh yeah, but, you know, on Facebook, you know, I have a, uh, I have a an album, a photo album in my albums that says photos for sale, and uh, sometimes I'm out of one or two, but I can get them pretty quickly. So just get in touch with me uh, on Facebook. And send me an instant message or, or private message or whatever they call it. Yeah. What are those kids and we can work things out. Right. And I take PayPal. Yeah. And actually, Venmo. we can take we, we can take that Facebook payment option too. That, right. That we've done a couple times. That, yeah. So. Yeah, I, you know, I, I should thing. take checks. Because someone wanted to pay me in Venmo. I didn't know what it was. Huh? Someone wanted to pay me in Venmo, and I didn't know what this was, but uh, I, I signed up for it. What is it? It's like a PayPal thing for the for the oh. internet. Yeah. Oh, Moa's in money, probably. Yeah, yeah Venmo. Yeah, it could be. I, I didn't even put that together. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have a really high aptitude for the English language. And <laughs> yes, or I'm just very dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Very good. All right. So uh, this is—it's always great to catch up with you, John. It was nice to see you, and it was nice to meet Trista. Thank you. Lovely meeting um, you. 
Um, where are you located in California? Me, I'm in LA. In Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. What what area? What neighborhood? Uh, well, I've been moving around, so I I've been shooting, so that's why I'm being vague. But so right now I'm sort of near. Uh, I'm currently n sort of near Palm Springs, but I'm usually in LA. Oh. Have you like it up there? You like it up there in the high desert? I love it. I love uh, the summertime. I really like the sunshine. Yeah, I really like it. Do you like Tennessee? Uh. Uh. Yeah. I. I yeah. Well, I love the fact that it's so goddamn cheap. <laughs> Look, there's there's our little. There's our little slice of heaven right there, and I, I'm not even going to tell you how much we pay for it. It's like next to nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, anytime, you know, and I lived in a lot of good sized cities, you know, Chicago, um, LA, you know, downtown Chicago, downtown LA before anybody lived there. Um, San Francisco um, and anytime you get out to the rural areas no matter what state you're in you're going to have a, a hyper conservative politics to deal with um, so I'll, I just accept it <laughs> you know, that's the way things are but my neighbor down that way flies a uh, confederate flag and my neighbor down that way has two flagpoles one with a confederate flag and an american flag on it and the other one with a trump flag and a uh oh, what's that called the yellow one with the snake on it don't tread don't on, me, tread on flag. me yeah that survivalist you know revolutionary war flag mm -hmm. so uh, you know, I don't, well, that's why I don't put any of my, uh, there's no bumper stickers on my truck. Yeah. And why I, you know, uh, the neighbor down there, uh, one of the neighbors down that way, and there's kind of a little complex of trailers down there. Um, but the guy has, he just adores me. His wife worked at a local convenience store. He met me there and found out I was a neighbor and all that stuff. He's got a, a, a jailhouse a tattoo of a swastika on his, the back of his right hand. I used to, uh, I haven't seen him in a while, but I'd be mowing my lawn, you know, in the middle of a fucking blazingly hot afternoon, sitting on my mower, and, uh, and Pete, he'd pull up and say, John, you, like to, you look like you need a beard. He'd hand me a beer out the window, you know. And I'd say, it was always a Bud Light. I'd say, you call that a fucking beer, you know, you asshole. And he'd go, ah, you have a funny little shit. And I'd take it, chug it down, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he thought I was just a funny little shit. If he had known my politics, he, God knows, you know. So you just got to, you got to kind of learn to keep your mouth shut. Um, about you know 
because I'm particularly since uh, Trump started running, uh, I you know I become so fucking political, just so angry, politically angry. It's not pleasant, you know. It's upsetting. It's aging me, but you know. And here I am almost, you know, I'm pushing 70, you know, I'm six, I'm halfway to 68 years old, you know? Um, and, uh, my plan was not to live out my, my, the autumn of my years, um, in a, uh, hate filled right wing country was not, I figured as a young you know, liberal idealist in the sixties that by now, yeah, we'd be enlightened that everybody would have equality, that the, the races would be almost homogenized. And, you know, um, you know, like I said, it was, it was just that stupid idealism of youth. And so this whole thing, this whole swing to the extreme right of this country has been very upsetting to me, you know, to the point where if I was young and I could afford it, I'd have left. I'd have gone to Ireland, got my passport, and just stayed there. But I'm too old to work overseas anymore or anything. So, although it was suggested by a filmmaker friend of mine from, from Ireland that I come, I come to Ireland and then you know get my passport because my grandparents were Irish immigrants. So get my passport and we come to Ireland and and then I can get a. I can get my national retirement from Ireland and collect my social security from the United States at the same time. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Right. But I'm sorry. I got no, all no, it's, weird. I always think uh, I'm, I always just grew up naive to that. There was a lot of people who thought uh, this way because where I am, like no one, I'd say no one, but the majority of people don't care about, you know, someone's gay or any of these things. And uh, I remember when gay marriage became a thing, um, seeing, uh, you know, on social media, so many people against it and people that, you know, I wouldn't think would really care. Cause in my mind it was like only like real backwoods people that would even care if someone was gay. Just cause where I grew up, even in the eighties, like my grand, I lived with my grandma when I was a kid and uh, she worked for a gay couple and, no one cared. It wasn't even like they were the gay couple. They were just the, you know, this married couple. They weren't legally married, but they were just, you know, they just happened to be two guys and no right. one, no one thought anything of it. And, uh, you know, years later to see people really, you know, like mad about that. It, it was very strange to me. And I think a lot of just, well, uh, me too. Up, I just, just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. Even though I grew up in a very small town in Indiana, which was essentially, Redneck, you know, I was, I was, I was, you know, called a nigger lover my whole life, you know, until I left home, moved to Chicago, and then saw how people got along, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then in LA and San Francisco and, and, uh, Louisville, which is, you know, south, well, south of the Ohio. In Kentucky, which is a very backward fucking Republican state, although it does have a rather progressive liberal governor now, but um, Louisville is a surprisingly progressive town because it's the cultural center, you know. It's all, you know, it's the cultural and uh, uh, financial capital of Kentucky, uh, as opposed, you know, as opposed to Frankfurt, which is just a governmental, you know, capital. 
But, um, you know, I live there. And I live close to Nashville, which are, you know, in the city. But, man, you get outside to the you get outside of any city in this country in uh, 1950, all over again, you know. And it's just, it's, it breaks my heart, you know, that, because uh, I, I just thought, you know, I was stupid enough to think that after the Vietnam War and after we, the boomers who catch so much shit, you know, who stopped the Vietnam War, the fucking boomers did. We did. We were the ones out demonstrating on the fucking streets, getting them to bring our boys back from fucking Vietnam, you know. And, uh, you know, a lot of people I want to, that I knew back then have turned completely. What happened is money. Most people start making money and having to actually pay taxes. They're like, well, that sucks. <laughs> so then they start voting for the bad guy. But um, so really, I, I thought that uh, after we stopped uh, the Vietnam War and 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 uh, uh, it looked like we were on the right track. And then Nixon came along, you know, and it just and it went to shit again. And then Reagan just was the beginning of the end, you know, uh, with his stupid trickle-down economics that everybody bought it to. Even my father, who was a lifelong yellow dog Democrat, mm-hmm. he loved that. Reaganomics. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it wiped out, in, you know, it trickled down economics and, and hypo-conservative politics has wiped out the working class in this country. There's nothing but a stinking rich class and a lower class. There's no middle class. You know, and it wasn't my idea to, to, to die poor <laughs> in a right-wing country. But, you know, that's pretty much the yeah, way it is, you know. Cause my mom's about the same um, age. She turns, uh, you know, she turned 70 this year in this October. And she always says the same thing when she was, you know, younger. Uh-huh. That, uh, she always thought, you know, when, she, when she's age she is now, that there would be no racism or, you know, any of this stuff. That, that would just be. Yeah, we were very, we were so idealistic. And the thing is, we were right. <laughs> And everybody else was wrong. So we were right. We knew we were right. And I can look back on it and say, yes, we were right. We were. The the, the world that we envisioned is the way it's supposed to be. But there are people who they don't care if anybody, they don't, they don't care for the greater good of the world. They don't want to see everybody happy. They just want their own family to be happy. Mm-hmm their own tribe and fuck everybody else. And that, you know, you'll probably get a lot of shit about this. You'll get a lot of email or something. Oh, well, that's okay. We don't care about um, that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're just glad you're a good human. That's what we care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of the people that would care have already blocked me or unfriended me by this point. There, you know, it's, it's the other thing uh, I've learned is that in our business and the the, um, the horror fan business, mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot 
a lot of really conservative uh, people there. So I've lost a lot of fans that I refuse to shut up. So mm-hmm. fuck it. <laughs> I appreciate that. So. Yeah, um, and we'd be happy to have you on again. Of course, we love. Yeah, John, you're welcome anytime. Oh, okay. We're gonna wrap it up. Oh, here's no, a... you don't have to. I'm just saying that <laughs> you saying can come that on no, no, I re- as much as you want. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, I do. I have to have something to eat, and uh, I'm kind of getting mosquito. Eating ah, here. yes, that's the problem. Um, uh, yeah, I get these, these little fucking tiger mosquitoes. They're so small, and they're real low to the ground. Like they're I on your ankles these little, uh, these little bracelets. They're not paying me to say this, but uh, uh, oh. yeah, you just put them. They smell like candles, and uh, they keep the mosquitoes away. I wear them all the time when I'm outside walking. Oh, really? I can put one on my ankle too. Yeah, that, I actually I do have, that sometimes. So then I have one. I have cutters. Uh, you know, I have like uh, deep woods or whatever it's called, deep woods yeah. cutters. Yeah. From my ankle up to my thighs, but I didn't put any on my upper body. <laughs> uh huh. Because it smells too bad. Yeah. And my wife won't let me hug her when she gets out of the shower. <laughs> I know. These just smell like candles. I don't blame her. To go. Right. <laughs> but um, notice these tiny little tiger mosquitoes, which are not, they're Asian and they're not, I looked them up, not native to this country. And they're, they've just taken over. They actually come out in the daytime and they have stripes on their legs if you see one. Oh, and they, hence the name they're, tiger. They're so small. They're so small, you can't feel them land on you. So as opposed to like a normal-sized mosquito, you kind of swat it away if you feel it. Mm -hmm. So they can eat you up before you even realize, you know, what's happened. It's fucking terrifying. Yes. Well, well, be careful, John. Yeah, sorry about that. Thank you for... (laughs) I'm careful. See, I have my... I have my my venture mask on. (laughs) Very good, very good. I always keep my face covered. I don't. I go into town. Yeah, I don't know why it's a big deal for anyone. Miles. Uh-huh. Well, I'm gonna be started on that shit. Yeah. I tried not. I tried not to reply to anyone, but I've given up on that because it's just. God. It's a, it's and they they think you're gonna die of lack of oxygen. I know. You know all this. This thing all is this shit like, they believe. Yeah, they're like, they like don't give they don't give in they to won't fear. Listen to the medical expert. Uh-huh. I knew it. The most like Stop. reasonable scientific shit. They're like, no, no that's crazy. Oh, that's no, this, this guy on YouTube and yeah. Reddit, he says, uh, I know. <laughs> they'll listen to some guy who sat next to him in biology classes, slept through it every fucking day. Right. You know, and he comes up with this, oh, well, the lack of oxygen. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Something or other, a dosis, you know. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and and people are listening to our fucking president instead of the foremost expert on fucking uh, contagious viruses in the world, almost the country. It was right there on TV all the time. They won't listen to him. And I, I admire him so much for not fucking, for standing up to, uh, to Trump, and I'm shocked that Trump hasn't figured out a way to fire him yet. Mm-hmm. You know, with Dr. 
Fauci, yeah. Yeah, but what's, I'll see people, they'll say, don't give in to fear. I won't give in to fear and wear a mask. And then they'll say, you know, if you wear a mask, you're, you're, it's going to kill your immune system. You're going to drop dead. They have, like, total fear of wearing a mask, but they're like, don't give oh. in to the fear and wear a mask. Oh, and they, they carry a sidearm to walk to, to go down to the corner of fucking subway and buy a, a, a 12-inch sub. Right. You know, a foot long. Uh-huh. Then they, they take a fucking... 380, you know, whatever. A 9mm, that's easier. Uh You know, with them. To go to the local fucking convenience store. But they accuse you of giving in to fear. Uh That's one thing. I love to fuck with those people. Say, what are you afraid of? Nothing. (laughs) Well, you're afraid of something because you carry a gun everywhere. (laughs) No, that's to protect me from... My protection from what? Shit you're afraid of, you dumbass. <laughs> oh, I am afraid. But I only started on that when they called me a pussy for not owning any guns. When I get, oh uh, yeah, I've had the same thing happen to me, and it's the same exact you know, idea. It's like, well, you aren't you the one who has to if you're carrying around all the time or sitting around? Yeah, you know, I say no, I don't own a handgun. Uh, I've never owned a handgun. I don't own any guns right now. I used to own long guns when I grew up but um and they give you this yeah well you know good luck to your family if you know just because you're afraid of guns i'm not afraid of guns i said but if you think your need to carry a gun everywhere is it based on fear you're not a very bright person (laughs) right but i'm not afraid why because i have guns exactly (laughs) Uh, they'll finish every thought and sentence out of your mouth defending their right to fucking carry a gun. I'm not afraid of anything. Then why do you carry a gun? Uh, <laughs> protection. From what? Shit you're afraid of, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. Then why do you have the gun? I'm not really afraid. Then why do you have the gun? <laughs> because you're afraid. Uh. Exactly. God, they're fun. They're so much fun to fuck with. It can be very okay. time consuming. Yeah. All right. I've got to go, man. All right. I'll we'll do say this any t- anytime you want. Oh, yeah, I will. She's, I think she's in there making herself something. Um, no, but any, anytime. All right. I very love good. talking to you. I love seeing you. I love yes. being with you. I wish we could hang out more often. We definitely should. And hope someday it would be cool if all three of us and four of us will get Troy and we'll hang out somewhere. And, uh, yeah, Trista, very nice to meet you. Nice and, to meet uh, you. And, you know, hopefully I'll be out in L.A. Uh, in the next couple of years working on a film. I have a couple of things uh, in the works with everything About on About five years ago when I was in L.A., uh, John, you recommended going to Musso and Frank's, and I didn't go. Yeah. And, then, and then it popped up in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like that's where that's a big scene where he has a meeting with. Um, you didn't Robert go Sears. to Musso and Frank oh. at that time, and then I was like, "Oh man, oh. that's a place John recommended." And then this last time I was in, I was out in L.A. Uh, uh, one day, uh, the people I was staying with that they had a they were out uh, shooting something, so I just started roaming around Hollywood, and I just not just by chance I was like, "Oh man, I'm right here under Musso's and Frank." So I went in there. I was like, "John recommended." That's right on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah. So I went in there. And What'd you have? 
I had uh, I had prime rib because this I I like vegan food, so there's nothing against it. People are staying with us vegan, and they were gone. It's so a, I was like, it's a steak and a, a steak and chop place. Yeah, it's a steak and chop place for sure. And they got some old fashioned shit you just can't get anywhere. Uh, lamb kidneys, grilled lamb kidneys. Holy shit, you can't get those anywhere. I mean. You can't even get lamb kidneys at a fucking boutique butcher, I don't think. You'd have to order them. Um, and uh, they had a fucking liver steak that was about, oh, maybe that thick. Uh-huh. Done over charcoal, medium rare. Well, they cook it to order. You get it rare if you want to, like your fucking rosemary from Rosemary's Baby or some shit, you know. <laughs> but, but served on a bed of watercress with the juice, you know, just all run. Oh my God. I used to love that place. Plus, you know, my first wife was a real, <laughs> this one more story about, this is about Muzo Frank. Uh-huh. She was really starstruck when we first moved to LA and we lived in hot, we moved, we lived like, Oh, a five minute walk from Muzo Frank's up on, off Franklin Avenue, just, uh, was north of there. Um, toward the valley and uh uh every time we'd go in there she'd some she'd see some famous person she'd go john don't look now but <laughs> over there is the guy uh mark what's his name who was the lead singer for uh who was that we did see him in there with mark lindsay you know, the lead singer for, uh, um, oh God, what was it? Paul Revere and the Raiders, you know? And uh, I go, wow. <laughs> you know, don't look now, John. There's David Jansen having <laughs> dinner. There's David Jansen having dinner with Angie Dickinson. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we're in there at one afternoon. <laughs> So it was between, we used to like to go in between lunch and dinner, you know, so you didn't have to wait for a table or anything. And we'd go in that, we'd park in their parking lot in the back and go in the back door past the kitchen and everything. And, um, oh, let me back up a second. One time we came in the back door, it might've been the same day. This We came in through the back door past the kitchen and they had a, that, you know, uh, you've been there. There's a huge counter. Mm-hmm on the front side, there's a bar in the dining room, but there's a big lunch counter in the front. And there's an open grill back there and all that shit. There used to be. But at the very end stool, nearest to the rear exit, was this guy who was a beggar, a fake blind guy, beggar from our old neighborhood in Chicago, sitting there (laughs) with his white cane with a red tip on it, with his fucking black Ray-Bans on the counter reading a newspaper. <laughs> and he used to come into to the restaurant where Shelly worked and and get a back a far, a back table and do the same thing, sit and read a newspaper oh. and some of us. And, huh? What, I just honey? said, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and uh, so I said, Shelly, look. And she went, oh, my God. And I... I tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey. He looks up, looked up and said, hey, what are you kids doing here? He knew us. He remembered us. I said, we, uh, 
we moved out here about six months ago. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, I come out here every winter, you know, to get out of the cold Chicago. It, uh, he goes, uh, it's great out here. We get, uh, we as in handicapped people get free buses, uh, a discount on this and that. I said, you? Yeah, I said, you blind people? You're not blind. <laughs> That's so fucking weird. <laughs> hey, how you kids doing? <laughs> Said the blind man. Uh, so anyway, we're sitting having, you know, lunch, dinner, whatever. And I look over. She's facing me, and we're in one of those banquettes on the side. So there's all these tables behind her. And I look, and in a booth over there is Bob Denver, Gilligan, and he's having he's having lunch with two little people, actresses, one of which was that uh, the exorcist woman from Poltergeist, the little little midget oh, yeah, exorcist. Yeah, yeah. So I go, Peggy. Don't look now. <laughs> but behind over there is Bob Denver, you know, who played Maynard G. Cribs and Gilligan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's having lunch with two midgets. <laughs> she goes, Bullshit, you're just trying to get me to turn around. <laughs> you're lying. I said, No, I'm not. I don't care if you think I'm lying. You don't have to look. I don't care if you look or not. There's Bob Denver having lunch with two midgets. You're trying to make a fool. <laughs> Finally, she couldn't take anymore. She turned around. She went, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's my Moose on Frank story. <laughs> I love it. I, unfortunately, no one cool was in there besides me, I guess, but yeah, no one else was. Oh, man. We used to see somebody every time we went in there back. Of course, it was back in the uh, middle 70s. We moved there in the. Oh, we got there in January, first week in January, 1977. Oh, look at there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just went in. It was like 11, so I thought maybe they wouldn't have uh, prime rib. And I was like, is it too early for prime rib? And the, and the waiter was like, brother, it's never too early for prime rib. I, like, I bet he did, man. <laughs> Shit, some of those waiters, man, there were some old dudes that used to work there. And, I swear, and those were such lucrative jobs, and they were the best servers in the world. Even though they were kind of rude, some, you know, sometimes they just – your plate would just bounce across the table when they deliver it. There you go. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but, but you never had to ask twice for anything, you know? Uh -huh. And, uh, but there were guys there. It reminded me of the Berghoff in Chicago. If you ever have a chance to go there, the oldest restaurant down, uh, operating, continually operating restaurant in downtown Chicago. Um, but, uh, some of those guys said, you know, owned their own home, sent three kids through fucking college. Waiting table, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, they were a good fucking job. And they're the kind of waiters where you can't turn around and do that without somebody coming over and asking if you need something. Yeah. 
you know. And I, the, the other thing I used to like to get at lunch was a, a uh, yeah, I'd sit at the counter by myself if I was down on Hollywood Boulevard, was a smoked a smoke tongue sandwich. I'd sit at the counter and have a, have a beer and a smoked tongue sandwich for lunch uh-huh. with hot mustard on it. Oh, man. Good shit. I'm hungry now. I gotta go eat. <laughs> All right, very good. Yeah. yeah, I have a friend in Chicago. I go visit sometimes, and uh, he took me to a really good steakhouse uh, last time I was there. I forget the name of it now, but it was good. You need to go to the Burghoff. It's just it's uh, it's unusual. It's a unique place. Going for lunch in the in the stand up bar where they have a lunch that where they carve sandwiches and, and you stand up at the bar and eat it, or then the dining room. It's basically German. German food, but it's fucking excellent, and it's just a unique place. It's a it's from another century, from two, you know, from the eighteen hundreds is what it's from, the late eighteen hundreds, probably. So, yeah, it's a piece of history. It's worth it, you know, mm-hmm. even if you have a bad experience, just to see the place. Yeah, yeah. You know. Last time I was in Chicago, my friend Matt, he'd yell at me because I, I go for a walk every day, so. Uh, like three in the morning, I'd get up and go for a walk. And he's like, Neil, this isn't Cape Cod. You can't go for a walk by yourself at three in the morning in Chicago. <laughs> well, that's one of the safest times there is there. I, I was, I thought it was fine. Uh, no, even the bad guys sleep. <laughs> Very true. But the I, safest time, the safest time I'm on the street in Chicago is between four in the morning and eight in the morning. Uh-huh. The second safest time is between midnight and four in the morning. So you were, you were fine. Yeah. All right. I remember that I went to you know. a Seven Eleven because I looked it up. That was it was open twenty four hours, and uh, it, but it was still locked. And the and the guy who was working there, he came over. He's like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "I just wanted to buy some." This officer said, "I want to buy some pickles," and because mm-hmm. I did, I went and bought some pickles. And he's like, "It's three in the morning." I was like, "Yeah, I know." And he's like, "Nothing good happens at this time." And I was like, oh, "I don't know." And so he let me in and then locked up behind me. But it was it was funny to me. You know, I used to walk late all the time, and I worked in a joint was up till four in the morning. And uh, and I lived at the time, I lived probably one mile north of where I worked. And I came and, and I closed up the joint and uh, I grabbed a six pack of beer out of the cooler and it was, it was snowing, beautiful, big fluffy flakes of snow, no wind. And there was like a full moon, so it was very bright. And, uh, and it was only about, fucking 30 degrees you know it was just it was you know warm you know considering the time of year it was and uh i decided to walk uh walk home and i used to like the alley walk and look at the back for buildings and stuff so i walked down alleys all the way home when i got about maybe a quarter of a mile from my apartment i got <laughs> He's, uh, I was going past a uh, city play lot, and I was, I was fixing a turn onto another alley that went out onto Racine Avenue, I think, and heading north home. And, uh, it was, and it was so quiet because you, the snow was so soft, you couldn't hear footsteps or anything. And uh, all of a sudden, like four or five guys cut me off at, at the end of the alley there. I just kept walking. I goes, hey, man, you a stone? I said, no, I walk alone. Just kept walking towards him. 
He goes, uh, you lying motherfucker. I know you're a stone because I've seen you run with the stones. And I said, no, man, I told you I walk alone. I kept walking towards him. And uh, I got up maybe 20 feet in front of him. And the leader is always this because I've been <laughs> confronted several times in the city. The leader of that a small group like that is always a little guy. The little guy has the brains, and you've got the big doofuses of their muscle. <laughs> Sorry, all you big doofuses out there. <laughs> but it's true. But he, he went, come on, man, let this motherfucker go. And they all took off running. And then I turned around, whipped out my dick, and pissed in the fucking snow for about 10 minutes, man. But the thing I learned from life in the city like that, I lived in the inner city for many years in Chicago and in L.A. is you, you can't show any fear. Most people are chicken shits. They don't want anybody's going to fight back or any of that stuff. You know, they want somebody who's going to curl up so they can kick the fuck out of them, take their money. So they're going to kick the shit out of you either way. You might as well act like you can take them on and hopefully they run off. I've not had any problems. Well, I did have my stuff stolen in, in Atlanta, but I, but uh, normally not any problems. Oh, yeah, but that was stolen out of your car, man. That yeah, was, uh, yeah. It was, that it was, was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all my... Uh, all your video shit and everything. Did your insurance cover that? No, they um, they wanted, to, if I had the, uh, like the, um, not zip code, but whatever code was on the camera, and I'm like, I have no idea what that was. So that was the only way they would, uh, but I guess, you know, in the future, which I haven't since I've got new equipment, but you should write down all the, all the code. Oh, like your serial number, yeah, your serial, serial number. number like who, who knows the serial number on your camera? Like who, who would know this? Uh, from, so from now on, you've written, you have a list of. No, I haven't, but, I, but now that I think about it, I should. I know that. I yeah, you better. <laughs> Dumbass. It was, that was. Out of, <laughs> I don't, uh, out I don't have that stuff either. No, no, that was that was at a convention. I remember the people at the convention because it was stolen on my friend's car at his pickup, and they were like, "Oh, I bet it was an inside job." And I'm like, "I doubt he broke his own windshield in his pickup to steal my to steal my camera." I'm like, "I really doubt that." that <laughs> was it your Was it your car or do you? No, was it was a, a friend of mine's car. He goes by the name uh, President Clinton. I don't want to say his real name, but he. He's a he's a weird guy. He calls into the sh- into the show. He hasn't called into the show for a while, but uh, and he does uh, Bill Clinton's voice. And we, uh, I don't know, I don't know why, but we have weird people listen to the show. But he's a good guy, and he looks like Conan O'Brien. So it's all very strange. But real tall, redheaded, and geek. Yeah, yeah. But he t- sounds just wow. like Bill Clinton. So yeah, he took us to uh, to see um, uh, Book of Mormon, the the play. Which is hilarious. Yeah, and we came out and the yeah the uh, the windshield was all broken and uh, my stuff was stolen and probably some stuff he had in the car stolen. Yeah, I remember when that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you were at the you convention. Were, you were very upset. Yeah, I gotta go, pal. All right, <laughs> we'll see. You probably can't Thank see you me, again, can you? <laughs> it was Hi, nice John. to meet you, Trista. Nice. And uh, any you know anytime. All right. I'll do this good. anytime. Excellent. Love y'all. Love you. And I well. love all my fans out there that are watching. So yeah. thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Everyone good say night. Good night. Good night. Good night.
From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. We should have The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming night! Hopefully, they're coming night! Hopefully, they're coming night! Hopefully, they're coming night! Hopefully! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming!